0: This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Welcome to the Women's Sanctuary, the podcast about tending the soul of women, sisterhood, and the rise of the sacred feminine. I'm your host, Arlia Hoffman. Welcome, everyone, back to the Women's Sanctuary. I'm your host, Arlia Hoffman, and I have a very special guest today. Her name is Jacqueline Gates, and um, we were trying to place how we first came to know each other, and that was, um, I think it's about five, seven-ish years ago through um, a fantastic astrologer named Lisa Zimmerman and Soul Level Solutions. And we both commented on a post and I went, she lives near me and she's very cool. I want to find out who she is. And so we've been acquainted on Facebook ever since. Um, And uh, Jekyll is a transformational coach inspired by her devotion to Vesta and shaped by years of stagecraft as an actor. Jackie's work shifts the home into a place of reinvention and manifesting, turning housework into home care and a practical expression of self-care, empowerment, and reinvention. Jackie brings the authentic sparkle of the divine to the process of tending to the future through the tending of the home. She helps her clients meet the next greatest version of themselves and anchor that new self in the present through simple and practical home care rituals and processes Jackie I don't know if you're aware of this but uh, the tagline for this show is tending the soul of women I love that yes so we have a lot in common oh yeah so tell me how you how you came to
1: uh, came to Vesta or how you got here <laughs> how I got here it's so circuitous right um, so firstly, uh, We sold up a five-bedroomed home in South Africa, down to eight suitcases, took our two kids and came to the States, um, knowing one person on the entire continent. Mm. And that was my clean slate. That was when I realized the influence of lineage on home care um, and the influence of everybody you know and have grown up with on who you show up as as a woman and Mm -hmm. as a being, um, it gave me a permission slip to get really curious about who I am was back then at least um, without any input from anybody other than my husband and my kids, because Mm -hmm. I, I've discovered, for example, when you, when I had no style, I had been living in, hand me downs and the house I'd been actually living in the house my husband was born into. So when I was suddenly given permission to choose anything, I had no idea what I liked. I had no idea what who Jackie was. And I had been wildly successful on stage before we left. And suddenly I wasn't I was I mean I, I was on a continent where nobody knew me. And it was just really, really weird. So there was this whole um open sesame season on absolute reinvention. And that's what I did. So we fast forward a couple of uh, nearly eight years or so. And at this point, I um, am working at and Noble um, because I got myself into some horrible debt trying to do network marketing companies. And um, the secret arrived, mm. right? And that was my first indication of thought work and a spiritual aspect to who you become it also kind of gave me the it gave me the first inkling that I was the creator of my future that I Mm. could co-create this and that I could work on more than just the physical realm if my thoughts became things I was deeply aware of having to change some of my thoughts because I didn't want them to become the things I'd been thinking about. Mm. For example, staying in Minnesota for the rest of my life because I was damn cold all the time. (laughs) So um, I immersed myself into the law of attraction. And one of the things that struck me most was the, the, the phrase act as if. Right. Mm -hmm. And in the book, she says, if you act as if you already are who you want to be, it becomes you'll become it faster. And you were an actor. And I thought, oh, my God, I know how to do that. So I started I decided that who I was acting as if was a role. I made a list of who this woman was. Um, So she lived somewhere warm. She lived in a gracious house. I really wanted something grand. Um, at the time I was living in a split level, um, 1960s house, Mm -hmm. um, which was very cozy, but wasn't gracious. And I also wanted to be on stage again in a certain way. I knew Mm -hmm. I I didn't mind. I just wanted to be in the spotlight and I wanted to talk about all the things that I'd found. Um, I also wanted my kid to be happy at school who he was about to not graduate. He looked. Like he wasn't going to graduate. And I wanted my husband not to commute. I wanted him to be able to work from home. So I started with this role creation of a woman who has all these things. I began to live as if, not just Mm. act as if, but live Mm. as if. So I began basically preparing to move because You know, she, the woman I'm becoming, is moving. So I started preparing to move. That included decluttering. It included getting boxes. It included um, sussing out my stuff as to what was worth packing and what wasn't and going through all that releasing. Um, It included um, telling everybody that would listen that this was my last winter, all this kind of thing. But it also included the thought work. I had to catch myself in my beingness um because somebody who is who is your future gives you a different perspective on your present and the analogy i always use is that if you buy a ticket and you watch the ballet from orchestra level for example you see feet and expressions and mm-hmm. um that sort of thing but if you buy a ticket and you watch from the balcony Your view of the same show is completely different. Your perspective is different. And your future self will always have a different perspective on your present to to how you look at it through your present self or even through your past self. Mm -hmm. So, for example, my past self would have been absolutely amazed to be living in the States from South Africa. That was never a thought. Um, But that's how my life unfolded. But my present self wasn't happy in the bit of, of America she was living, and she wanted something else, right? So there's this, there's this perspective change that comes from living as a being for whom time is not necessarily linear but also spiral because mm-hmm. manifesta- manifestation happens in spirals. We feel like we're back where we started, but it's that, beautiful um, native american proverb that you can't enter the same river twice um Mm -hmm. you the reason is not just because the river changes but because you are different Mm -hmm. so in my work i talk a lot about um the esoteric beingness of you and you can tap into that in the very mundane part of being a woman in the now yes so, yes, within six months, everything I wanted came to pass and I was forever devoted to using my home as a manifesting tool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really, it it grew out of that. And I just knew that people were getting half the information in this act as if um, instruction um, because it is true. But then it leaves out the hermetic principle of as above, so below. Mm -hmm. as within so without so you can change your insides in a nanosecond but your outsides reality takes a little time to catch up Mm -hmm. but we also know that if we change our outsides our insides will be reminded of the shift we want to make and that's the kind of nesting I call it nesting because you're birthing another vision version of yourself Mm um and I and there's so much baggage attached to housework and housewife and stuff. So I'm a I'm a house muse, and I talk about nesting because I believe that we can become who we want to be by being her at home. Hmm,
0: I love that. It's funny. That's <clears throat> you said birthing another version of yourself. That's what I call being a revolutionary woman. Right.
1: Exactly. Bringing forth something something new. And there's and- nothing more revolutionary for women. Than to reclaim their power at home, because that's Mm -hmm. very much a patriarchal thing. The the patriarchy knew that menfolk function better when there's a woman running their lives at home. Mm -hmm. So what they did was make that mandatory. And they shamed us for having any kind of um, aspirations outside of the home. Because it didn't suit them. Firstly, it gave them competition in an arena they felt they shouldn't have competition in. But secondly, because it takes the, the, the wifeliness away that they actually depend on. So, um, but for a woman to reclaim house care, housework as part of her ritual magic, as a woman to reclaim her home as the setting stage for world domination. To- That's huge. That's huge. That is a revolution. And we need to make sure that um, my mission is to make that happen faster so that this generation of women are modeling it for their daughters and sons so that it changes our future.
0: That's interesting. That is so interesting. In my own personal life, I was was the devoted wife and mother and homemaker Mm -hmm. for 19 years. And um, when I divorced, I went to the other end of the spectrum. It's like, I don't want to cook because I don't have to. I, I cleaned, but I, it, I took pride in my own home. But but the identification with tending the home completely went out the window. And it's taken me lots of years to get back to the place where I, I really think what sealed it was um, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Here we are at home. And that really sealed the necessity and the beauty and the joy of tending the place I live.
1: Yeah, I, I refer to it as tending because I do think that we are nurturing a, a, a growing thing, a, a space, right? And it's a relationship. We are in relationship as beings. We are in relationship with every physical manifestation outside of our beingness, right? So bodies, wardrobe, Um, the eyeliner you choose, the way you set up your home, the people you gather around you, all of these are orbits of influence for ourselves as a spiritual being. Mm -hmm. And so um, when I talk about tending, we know about tending to our children, tending Mm -hmm. to our plants, tending to our magic, right? We understand the deliberate and strategic and incremental little tasks that we put into the growth of this thing that we cherish. And that's why I talk about tending the home, because there's been decades of it being a chore. Housework as mm-hmm. a weapon. Housework as punishment. How mm-hmm. many of us grew up with housework as punishment, right? Yeah. And even when we excelled at it, we got a little pat on the head from the men or from anybody. So, Oh, you're such a good little housewife, right? And there was never an acknowledgement. It's still unpaid labor. Mm-hmm. And so that is the acknowledgement of the fact that we are tending to and nurturing something of value. It's, it changes everything. It changes how you sweep your floors. It changes how you dust. It changes how you do laundry. The, and it again—it's that perspective, right? You're looking at the ballet of your life from a different viewpoint, a different seat.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of the Buddhist concept of mindfulness. Chop wood, carry water. You know, mm-hmm. with every step, you're mindful. With every sweep of the floor, you're mindful.
1: Right, yeah. and in and in voodoo uh, traditions, in um, Shinto traditions, which is uh, not ironically where um, Marie Kondo comes from. The tending to your flaws is mm. ritual magic. It is in in my work. I teach it as sweeping out the debris of the previous day. Um, in feng shui, dust is mental residue, right? Mm. So your dusting clears your mind, and then my animals are
0: doing a lot of thinking,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and le- they probably are, right? And so they are shedding previous selves, left, right, and center. In the- and we have to. We have to clear our, our previousness in theatrical terminology, because my life is all about theater. Um, we, set, we, we clear the stage before we put a new production on. Mm-hmm. We don't just launch into uh, guys and dolls fr- on the set of Macbeth. It yeah. doesn't work. And yet we try and be different in an environment that has nothing to show us that we are different. And so I take I take the, the the changes that we've made on the inside, I help my ladies I call them ladies, but that's such a quaint term. But I I help the women um take the changes that they want that they've made on the inside, imprint them on their homes so they're on the outsides, so their outsides remind their insides of who they're becoming.
0: So what are what are some of the ways You teach
1: women to do that. It starts with getting clear on your next self, like who you want to be next, how do you want to be next. I have two different ways in doing that. We have an interview process where you can actually scoot out to your timeline and interview her as a very important person. Um, There's all sorts of lovely ways to do that. I also work on for those who like um, the fantastic side of things. We delve into your alter ego. Because uh, RuPaul, for example, one of my muses, um, he talked about gathering a squad of muses that embodied the frequency he wanted to live by. So, for example, weirdly, Monty Python because Mm -hmm. of the irreverence, because of the middle finger to normality, Mm -hmm. right? And then also Dolly Parton because of the hair and the shape and the brain underneath that hair. And then um, Cher for her agelessness, um, and mm, Donna, no, no, what's her name? Um, the leader of the Supremes, her for her all-out showbiz star quality, mm. right? Um, Diana Ross is her name. So he, as a twelve-year-old boy, curated these frequencies and started putting them together, and what we see as his glamazon persona as her Glamazon persona, is the amalgamation of those frequencies. Mm-hmm. So you could tap into the things that you admire most about your the deity that you work with, the um, fact or fictional inspiration, the muses that you've curated. What do they bring? What is that frequency? And then you start imprinting it on your life. So, for example, one of the ladies that I'm working with in The Nest... She said she has decadence, indulgence, and luxury wow. so so her decadence is I gave her, her re- a recipe for sipping chocolate, and sipping chocolate's not the hot chocolate that your mother gave you. Mm-hmm. Sipping chocolate is a about a third of a cup of what amounts to liquid chocolate, and it's mm-hmm. slightly salty it's not very sweet, it has smoky overtones it's very decadent and she makes that for herself every evening and she sits and reads a chapter of her book while she sips that that is decadence and luxuriousness and for a woman who has two uh, twin five-year-olds those (laughs) those little pockets of time of imprinting who she'll become are priceless because they give her replenishment They remind her that her present is not everything about her future. She's Mm -hmm. building a future, even as her present doesn't really um, reflect those frequencies. But tapping into them fills her well. Mm -hmm. And I'm all about well-filling. I I live by the, the mantra that you can't pour from an empty pitcher. We women run on fumes, and we take it as a badge of honor.
0: It's particularly appropriate for women with small
1: children, right? And and we're also getting to the point now where we're women sandwiched between youngsters that we are still nurturing and parents who are mm-hmm. taking. I want It's it, it sounds awful, but taking time to pass. So we mm-hmm. have to nurse them. We have to nurture them. Almost midwife them through this. So mm-hmm. we're the sandwich generation, where we have. Two sets of beloved people that require our attention. Mm-hmm. And, and this, this is, we have a chronic exhaustion level amongst women, a chronic stress level. And we are also shamed, not everybody, and it's getting so much better, but it used to be shameful to take time for yourself. Selfishness right. was a, a sin, right? Um, we are so much better at it now. But it's still not commonplace, mm-hmm. and I I'm all about filling your well first, so that you have enough to give to everybody who needs it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that reminds me of um, the theory of spoons. Yes, spoons? talk about that a little bit because I I watched your evolution of thought around chronic illness and and how to tend a nest. Regardless of your, you know, physical capacity,
1: the um, spoon theory is an essay, and I can't for the life remember the lady's name. But you can, if you Google spoon theory, you'll be able to find it. And she um, wanted a metaphor, an analogy, to explain to um, normal, in inverted commas, healthy people how she functions with within her fibromyalgia, within the chronic pain and the chronic fatigue that she was dealing with. And spoon theory is about you start a number of days with X many spoons. We'll say 12 Mm -hmm. spoons. You've got 12 spoons. A normal person has 12 spoons. And every single action you take takes a spoon, right? She could wake up, for example, on a day where she only has five spoons because she's in so much pain, so tired, and she still has to do, like, get a job, do mm-hmm. her job. But cleaning her teeth takes a spoon. Deciding what to wear takes a spoon. Getting up and feeding herself takes a spoon. So she ends up, before she's even left the house to go to the office, she's running on fumes. And there's another um, another theory that I also love that is less to do with Um, chronic pain and more to do with the mental side and it has to it's called match theory Mm. where if you're given a box of matches and every time you have to step up for something you burn a match Mm -hmm. every time you have to um, if you're treading on eggshells around a partner you're burning matches all the time Mm. if you're coping with a five-year-old who who has tantrums that's a match every time it's not necessarily physical capacity which is what spoons tends to be it has to do with mental stress Mm -hmm. both of those indicate that there is not enough attention on replenishment for women self-replenishment because when we do it we are shamed for being selfish um, and martyrdom has a kind of badge of honor Mm-hmm. This, I am here for you. I will do anything. I'll move, you know, I'll put myself second. Yep. Oh, dear God. Anyway, so my mother would tell me, because my mother was a very good example of, of not putting herself out. She she was always said, I'm not a good, I don't aim to be a good mother. I aim to be a good enough mother. Mm-hmm. And she would say, martyrdom will kill you. Mm-hmm. And I lived by that. And that was why um, I went on stage. Because I knew when my child arrived, my daughter arrived, I thought I would be at home forever. Mm -hmm. And within the first year of her life, I knew that a part of me was dying. And it was that part that loves being in the spotlight, Mm -hmm. that loves becoming just Jacqueline on stage, not somebody's mom, somebody's wife. I needed that identity of myself. Um and so I decided to audition for a show and I actually gave birth to my daughter 10 days before we opened. <laughs> wow. But That's incredible. But what I, what what it meant was I had to get super organized. I had to get super strategic because my mom-in-law said she was totally fine to look after the baby for me for the the run of 20 performances, but she wanted me to be able to hand her over with everything done. She had to be fed and dressed uh, and, and diapered and ready for bed and that kind of thing. So I had to get super strategic about my home care. And this was the prelude to living as if, right? Because I had to set up my home to reflect somebody and support somebody who left every night at 6 p.m. to go to the opera house. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when I heard about acting as if I knew 20 years later, I knew how to do this. I knew how to bring my home into alignment with the self-development that was so important to me. And so now it doesn't matter whether my clients come to me with a big corporate promotion that they're after or if they want to find a lover or if they want to find out who they are post-divorce or if they just want to find some sanity when the children and COVID and everything's going nuts around them, it doesn't really matter. There's always your next self Mm -hmm. and how to get to her from where you are now and bring your house along with it. Love it.
0: Love it. Um, You mentioned the nest and I want to get to that eventually, but I also would like like to hear about Vesta and how Vesta plays into all of this. Who is Vesta? Vesta.
1: Vesta is the goddess of the hearth. She was, is, she is the goddess of the hearth. She was the main religion for ancient Rome. Mm. For the longest time, I referred to myself as the goddess known as Jackie, right? And I was still talking about house care. And one of my goddess friends mentioned that there was a goddess of the house, goddess of the home. And that blew my mind because it's a very non-patriarchal thing, right? To have a goddess of the half. So I investigated and I found out about Hestia, who is the Greek version. Mm -hmm. But the Romans appropriated her the way they appropriated everything. um, And she became Vesta. But Hestia never had the center, the central role that Vesta had. Mm -hmm. Vesta, the myth of Vesta is that both Apollo and Neptune wanted to marry her. She's, okay, so she's the daughter of Saturn, the daughter of Zeus. She um, She's both first born and last born because, you know, he swallowed all his kids and then vomited them up. And there's this whole myth. Anywho, so she is unusual. In that she's both ends of the spectrum, which mm-hmm. is kind of relates back to us as mothers, right? We are at the beginning of our kids' lives, and we're at the end of our parents' lives, and we're in the middle. Um, so, so Vesta herself couldn't be bothered, and I love this because it's like the, it's feminism um, in a nutshell. She couldn't be bothered to be a pawn in the war between Apollo, well, the war for her hand between Apollo mm-hmm. and Neptune. Mm-hmm. So she went to her brother, Jupiter, and said, "How about if I don't marry either of them and I just look after my house, which is what I really want and in exchange, I'll look after your house, and then we won't have any problem, but i'll it's my house, but you know, I'll look after you." And he went that was a brilliant idea. So she became the goddess of the hearth. Mm-hmm. What I love about the hearth term is that and i teach this in in my my vesta program is that the the roman word for hearth is focus
0: mm, wow. and when our
1: focus is on the building of a home that supports the the beings that live in it it ripples out into the community into the city into the mm. country, into the world, right? And there are many studies that will tell you a fractured home leads to a fractured community. Mm-hmm. And we have been steadily, our, our homes have become more and more fractured, you know, right f- over the past 50, 60 years. Mm-hmm. So, and, it, and it's time to heal that. Vesta, the Vestal worship. She was the first and only goddess to have her own seminary, her own college. The Vestal mm-hmm. Virgins were usually 12, sometimes more, women whose focus it was, hence the hearth, to keep the sacred flame alive. Now, it's really interesting because we have this very patriarchal view that they were virginal. Mm-hmm. Um, no sex. That is actually not true. It's a, it's a male telling of the story that's come through. The, th- the Vestal Virgins were married to Rome. In fact, the Catholic Church took this idea and made convents where women were married to God, right? Oh, um, nice. Yeah. So, But their focus was in keeping the sacred flame alive. Vesta herself is the sacred flame. She was never embodied. She is the flame, and she's the flame of life. She's the flame of civilization. She's the flame of home. We all gather around the hearth because fire is intrinsic to mm-hmm. our civilization and our humanity. So these women were basically, they made a vow to keep, to make it, they focus to keep the flame alive. Mm-hmm. The reason for that is because Rome believed that if the sacred flame went out, the empire was doomed they believed that without the sacred flame what had meant to be roman would disappear mm. and so every woman who got married would and started a new home she would go to the temple she would get she would light a taper from the sacred flame and she would bring it into her house to her own hearth so every house in rome was an extension of vestal's temple vestas mm-hmm. temple and it was an honor not a drudgery it was a priestesshood that extended throughout um throughout rome what was fabulous was when when rome turned christian right and they tried to stamp out the they they actually extinguished the vestal flame and they annihilated the temple and they disbanded the vestal virgins for the for another hundred years they could not remove the vestal worship in each house because every woman when they came to the house and they'd say, "Is that a vestal flame she go no it's just a it's just an oil lamp of course not no it's just an oil lamp <laughs> it's very subversive and it's very feminist because we it it links into the witches it mm-hmm. you know in the in the medieval times who are going, oh no, I just I just make this poultice with herbs and you know and no it's not it's not a it's not a, a puppet or an effigy. It's just a doll my kids play with. Yeah it's like it it is this this subversive magic that runs underneath the mundane. And so Vesta opened this whole world to me. As I got closer and closer to her, I got more and more in collaboration. And Vesta's all about collaboration. There's no domination, there's no hierarchy. She collaborates. And I love this idea of collaboration amongst women, between you you and your stuff, you and your home, you and other beings. So this collaboration, I started nurturing it with a vestibule. It's where the word comes from. It's in my yes, voice. vestibule in my in my foyer, right by my front door, because she is the guardian of the home as well right so um i had this vestal altar and i started checking in with her daily to say how do i work with this how do how do i bring this bring this idea outward how do i live it it was through that collaboration that i started talking about next and future selves and then also she gave me four pillars of, of the work that I do. And the first is sa- sacred self-ownership, mm-hmm. which is this rebellious woman that you're talking about, right? Because you own yourself and you're going, right. I don't care what you say. I don't care about your rules. I'm going to live according to my own self. Lavish focus was the final one. And there's a couple of, uh, there's two others. Um, But when I teach this, it has deep and nuanced roots in witchery, not witchcraft, but Mm -hmm. the idea of being what it meant to be a witch, Mm -hmm. um, what it, the the, the goddess worship that got subverted and appropriated by the male deities um, Mm -hmm. and monotheistic religions. this communion with, with your environment, the collaboration with your environment, whether you're talking to your plants, which for the longest time was a sign you were crazy, and now everybody knows that your plants do better when you give them sound, yes. right? And then what you concoct in the kitchen, whether it's a meal that feeds your family or a, or a, or a broth that feeds your soul. Mm-hmm. These are, these are the, the, this is the magic that lives in the mundane, but yes. we've spent so long being told to focus only on the mundane and that that we kind of lost track of that. And I think it's coming back. I know it's coming back because mm-hmm. I think we had to overcorrect when science, when we started become scientific, when we started, it's a very masculine thing, right? They started building microscopes and measuring devices and stuff, machines that allowed us to explore the back workings of our world, Mm -hmm. right? We got very aware of the atoms and the microcosms and the eco-cultures and all these these, these very um, tangible workings of our world. We overcorrected to think that Mm -hmm. was all that there was, there is. Whereas before, we always knew of the magic. We didn't actually understand how it worked, Right, a lot of us, but we did know that at a certain time of the year, the sun would rise and we could make a stone monument to catch that moment. Mm -hmm. And that's Stonehenge, right? You've got these Mm -hmm. monuments around the world that – that show that even without having the scientific explanation for things, we were working with the magic of our planet. And I think we are now getting to, especially in the age of Aquarius, we're allowing for the and-and. We don't mm-hmm. have to be magical or mundane. We are magical and mundane. There is magic in the mundane and man- magic and the mundane can be magical for us.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. It reminds me of so many. It, it, you're weaving together so many ideas I've had about the the sacred and the profane, and the the sacredness of every moment and everything, and the relationship with everything.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's so multi multi textural and multi nuanced. And and the beautiful thing about humanity, again. It depends which seat of the theater you're sitting in because Mm. you will have a different experience of the same topic as I will. And the gloriousness of having come through this very masculine energy of science is that you and I can sit in other parts of the, okay, so we're in the same state at least, but we could sit and talk to somebody in a different country and find communion and collaboration on these ideas. Um, and I think that that's that's what we're going to see. We're going to get there's going to be an honoring of all paths. We are in the death throes at mm-hmm. the moment of the way that was and yes. they and those who believe that they can't function in in any different way are screaming and making laws and having hysterics and causing mm-hmm. fear um but it's the natural order of things. We cannot stay the same or we will stagnate and die. This is mm-hmm. growth. As uncomfortable and horrible and, and ghastly and um, anxiety-ridden as it feels, this is our evolution. This is us breaking out of the cocoon. This is us shedding skins so that we can become more of everything we are.
0: I love that metaphor of, of shedding skins because that uh, everybody's experiencing that now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it depends on the level to which you resist or embrace that, get creative or dig dig in your
1: heels. Exactly, exactly. and it's and it's we start at home, yeah, because home is mm-hmm. where we have the most usually have the most control. We start with our wardrobes, what we dress we start with how we eat and how we tend to ourselves whether we have ritual baths or whether we just jump into the shower and jump out again mm-hmm. um whether we apply our eyeliner as a sigil or whether we just slap some lipstick on you know whether we whether we wear ornamentation that has significance um i i usually i don't have them on today because of the noise of the microphone but i usually wear an armful of gold bangles mm-hmm. um and I can't tell you how many shamanic journeys that other people have taken on my behalf and they've seen those across, across many of my lives. Mm. So when I wear them, I remind myself that I am part of a lineage, but without me, the lineage changes. And, and so there's this uniqueness that we have to honor, even as we're on a, Humanity, uh, we share a path with 8 million other people. Um, We are unique and we have to, the more we smother the uniqueness, the oddness that we have, the weird, um, the more we smother that, the more we rob the world of getting to where it needs to be faster. I want to say that
0: again. Something about the lineage changes if you aren't
1: if you aren't who you're meant to be, mm. in the fullness of you, the lineage changes. Wow. You you shape your future mm-hmm. by every decision you make now. And so when you decide to honor your witchcraft, when you decide to be the odd one at the family reunion, when you decide to stop dyeing your hair, when you decide to go all out, in my case, all out on your glamour mm-hmm. and and be usually the most overdressed person in the grocery store. That's me too. (laughs) (laughs) These are the things we do that add to humanity's path. And we Mm -hmm. shape lineage. Because how we can't know, Somebody sometimes they'll come up and tell you, but we can't know who we give permission to, to entertain a different thought. Or wear their party dress just because. Or stop dyeing their hair just because their mother said Mm -hmm. they should. These, you know, these are the things that that we can't know the ripples that we create, but we have to create them because that's what we're here for.
0: Yes, hmm. I I love it. It's just it's so it's such a a great way to approach integrity and authenticity, which are my words to living living out loud who you really are and unapologetically. Mm-hmm. You've given us so much good stuff. Can you, do you have something to offer in a way of a particular practice you can, that anyone can use?
1: I think that the most pivotal practice you can have is to check in with your future, your next future self. And the reason I specifically speak of your next future self Is because invariably, when we start talking about our futures, we go all the way out to our most actualized, most potentialized, Mm -hmm. most fabulous, most accomplished selves, right? Mm -hmm. And I have this quote by Leonardo DiCaprio that I absolutely adore. And he says, every next level of your life will demand a different you. Now, in theatrical terms, because obviously everything is in theatrical terms, we, where we are now is act one, scene one. Where we want to be is the grand finale, show-stopping moment where everybody leaps to their feet, right? Mm-hmm. Between then and here, there's a lot of versions of us, but we can't get over there too soon. We have to go through act one, scene two, act one, scene three, act two, scene one, etc., etc. So when you tap into who you want to be next, you are looking at not spectacular results. You're looking at progress. And this takes the pressure off our becoming more authentic, right? So if you scoot out to 90 days with my clients, I always work in 90 day. There's, there's a lot of history to the 90 day bubble container if you scoot out to 90 days, what could be better? What would you like to be experiencing? How would you like to have seen betterment, improvement, more you in your space? So for example, could you you be dressing slightly differently? Could you be eating slightly differently? Could you have established and feel secure in a new ritual that supports your day? Or perhaps you feel that you've you've tapped into the new moon and you and you make a practice of showing up for each new moon with ritual and candle and wishes right um so you tap out you go out to that and you reverse engineer to your present mm. what you can do now with what you have that will help you experience what you would rather be experiencing so that's my That's my question, and I offer it as a a tool and a potent exploration. If you're writing things down, write this down. What can I do right now with what I have available that will scoot me closer to what I'd rather be experiencing? What this does is it puts you in your power. It assumes the inevitability of what you want. And it gets strategic about how to get there using what you have. And if you want to in, in play with this further one-on-one, I am available for that. And may I invite them to The Nest? Please. I'll <laughs> Talk
0: about The Nest.
1: On Facebook, I have a super secret Facebook group called The Nest. Again, the nest is um, chosen, the name is chosen deliberately because it's an incubating space. It is a place where you can hatch your next self, right? And you can shape your environment. At the moment, we're doing a series called The Art of Becoming. Started off with a free class that I have available in there, which is The Art of Becoming, just generally, Becoming You. The Art of Becoming You. And then we're going into more aspects of that. At the moment, we're doing the art of becoming decluttered, which has so much more to do with who you're showing up as than it has with your stuff. Because when we talk about decluttering, everybody says, oh, yeah, I released everything. And I'm going, yeah, but who are you going to be when that stuff's gone? Who are you going to be when you've released all that stuff? And let's not even get into financial privilege that assumes everybody can just toss whatever they own. Right. So there's my feminist stuff, right? But but there's all these nuances. And then we're going to talk about the art of becoming sacred, which is mm. fighting the magic in the mundane. The art of becoming organized because we have to, as women, we have so many balls in the air. We have to be organized. The art of becoming fabulous because – I think we should all just dress in ways that make it a party every day. It's not for everyone, but then, you know, not every part of all of us is for everyone. We all get to take what resonates and leave what doesn't. And uh, so, yes, so you are all invited to the nest. Um, You can go through Alia. You can send me a message on Facebook. I'm Jacqueline Gates. Um, just let me know that you want to be in there and how you heard about it and I will happily fling the secret door open for you.
0: Perfect, perfect. So you said people can find you on Facebook. Yes. Ask about the nest. How else can they contact you?
1: I have a, a website that has just been refurbished um, and a new uh, email series because I believe your inboxes are sacred places and I really wanted to get clear about what I was going to gift you in them. Um, mm-hmm. So you can go to Jacqueline-Gates.com. Mm-hmm. There's an opt-in page, an opt-in thing there, and you will be the first. Um, you get first dibs on the stuff that I am teaching and also the stuff that I don't teach anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Because there's things that I want to pass on to the ladies in my life that are not for public viewing. As I've been more and more on Facebook, I've realized that there are things that need to be shared more intimately. And mm-hmm. that's why my whole mailing list thing had to change and um, be far more sacred and intentional. So you have those two options. The wildly, widely useful disseminated stuff is on Facebook, the other stuff is in your inbox. There are two separate vibrations, shall we say, of, mm. of, of communication. And it's the difference between being at a party and sitting down one-on-one like this and having an intimate conversation. That's how I see email and that's how I see Facebook. So um, you have both options. And I would love to see you wherever part of my world that you would like to show up in.
0: Perfect. I would highly recommend working with Jacqueline Gates. I mean, she just has such beauty and brings such beauty and and um sacredness to the work that to the parts of our lives that we have not seen as sacred before and um i'm deeply grateful for you and for your work in the world it's um it's so needed
1: thank you and thank you for the honor of this invitation i am i'm delighted to have been able to spend time with you and and everyone who listens to you
0: yes me too all right. Well, thank you so much, Jacqueline. For me and Jacqueline, I want to thank you for being here on the Women's Sanctuary. And um, you can uh, feel free to listen to our other episodes. You can find us on Spotify, Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. Um, you can also check out the website, thewomenssanctuary.com for more information about me and for details uh, about Jacqueline and our other guests that we've had on our podcast pages. So thank you very much. And we will see you again here again on the Women's Sanctuary.